0: Hi, I'm Aaron, and welcome to the Slim, Fitty, and Biggie Committee Podcast, where me and my best friends, Danny and Matt, take a deep dive into hip-hop, the genre that has formed an integral part of our lives. Coming up on today's show, I caught up with DJ Chubby Chubb, a veteran of hip-hop who has had a career spanning over 25 years. He has worked with artists such as Jay-Z, Nas, and has even been 50 Cent's tour DJ for seven years. It was fascinating talking to him, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, let's get into it. All righty, welcome to the show, DJ Chubby Chubb. Uh, one of the longest-repping DJs in the game of hip hop. You've been doing it for over 25 years. Um, Correct. I like for me, it's it's always really exciting to speak to someone who's been in hip hop for such a long time because. In terms of your career, you've been doing it for, for longer than I've almost been alive. So for you, how have you, <laughs> so how have you kind of kept that drive? Because it's a really long career that you've had. There's trials, there's tribulations. What's kind of been your motivator? What's been keeping you going?
1: I mean, I think that the, the most that's been having me going in the game is really just the music. The music and, and having the energy to say, you know, I, I can keep doing this. I enjoy it. I love it.
0: And so how did you first get into hip hop? Because you, 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 like when we're starting, hip hop was more underground, like in the 90s, you know, in the late 80s. How did you get into it?
1: Well, hip hop for me started in the 80s, um, growing up young in the Bronx and New York. Um, my cousins used to play these tapes, live tapes of different artists like Cold Crush, Treacherous Three, Funky Four. And these artists were, were like outside in the park performing. And they would have these tapes. I was so young, I didn't really know. And it was just that music that that turned me into understanding like, I I, I want to play, I want to hear this music. So I was listening to the music, but then when I was outside and saw the actual DJ at a young age, I was like, I told my mother I wanted to do that. I wanted to DJ. And
0: how did you take that?
1: Um, You know, it was, it was kind of hard because we, we didn't have money at the time. So, you know, buying equipment was, there's always a problem when you first want to first start getting into something. It's like, you know, trying to say you want to play a piano. You can't buy a piano if you don't have the money, (laughs) Yeah, you know. But it was just, you know, very instrumental that that was the idea. That was the plan. Like, I wanted to do that. But I did not realize that I was going to be able to say it was my career.
0: And so, because you went down the DJ route, obviously you've got the DJ versus the MC. So... For you, what made you go, you know what, I want to mix master, I want to make the beats as opposed to I want to be the MC who's like, you know, moving the crowd, you know, lyricism. What's What made you go down that route instead?
1: Well, rapping wasn't for me. Like I could joke around about being rapping. Like, you know, rapping, we used to joke around, but it was always the energy of the, of the people, like watching people like at house parties dancing and the DJ made people dance. So I wanted to do that. That was more, more thrilling for more, more for me than me being the actual DJ.
0: So, is there anyone that you took particular reference to? Is there anyone that you were like, you know what, this is who I see. This is who I want to be like. This is the style that I want to do.
1: Well, well, you know, it comes in different eras. So, it, it was many DJs. I mean, you know. Charlie Chase was from Cold Crush, you know, Latin DJ, which I'm Latin 100% Puerto Rican. Um, he was one of the, the people that I seen. Then, you know, Grandmaster Flash was everyone's idol. Then you move on to getting more to the, how can I say, more of the controlling and speaking. So it became DJs like the world famous Brucey e. B. Love Buzz Starsky, um, Star Child, DJ Hollywood. These DJs showed you how to talk to the crowd, how to be able to acknowledge the people in front of you, interact with them. Then it became, you know, Kid Capri, Clark Kent, which was my mentor. And there, there you have it. That was like those were like the big broads of DJ, not, you know, like, and also, you know, my God brother, uh, God brother Diz and my good friends, red handed and technician, the DJ that, that would be like my peers. And after that it was Doo Wop, Ron G, S SNS Craig G. The mixtape era.
0: Cause I, I did read you've released like 39 mixtapes. So it's not like you've been quiet at all. So you've been <laughs> hustling hard. So that's that's more than one mixtape a year that you've been releasing f- through your whole
1: career. And it's crazy because I got a 100, a 120 masters still to this day. I have every master I've done as a tape.
0: And so how did you, because you love hip hop, right? But there is always a point where you get tired. There's always a point where you're like, you know what? I've just gone on tour and it hasn't worked out. How have you kept coming back? What's that motivating drive?
1: I mean, for me, it's always, it's always being able to say that I can study different music. Like, I've always had an open mind for music. You know, being from a Latin descent and being able to have an open ear because it's just not hip hop. It's so worldwide with everything. You know, like, I remember at a time when before I went to London, they used to call it jungle music, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you heard, you went, to a, you went to a certain area and you heard tribal music. Then you heard different songs that, that, was, that was always captivating that wasn't always as hip hop. There's music that's all over the world that'll keep you in tune to realizing what you really want to do with it. Like, do you want to just play hip hop and be known as a hip hop DJ? which it has happened, but you're able to play everything. You know, you're able to to di- like be diverse with what you're doing as a DJ. You don't want to be just stuck in one genre.
0: Yeah, and did you find that when you were beginning, was there a particular sound that you were like, okay, this is what I want to start with. This is what I want to explore.
1: I mean, you know, when we first started, it was just breakbeats. It really wasn't even too much... Hip hop music in the 80s, it was like break beats. Everybody wanted a Bob James, everybody wanted a Captain Sky, everybody wanted a Billy Squire, you know, Arrow Smith, you know, these records, Led Zeppelin, you wanted these records, but just for the beginning part of the record, not realizing it was a whole song. You just was catching the break, and that was it. You know what I mean? Before you started hearing. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, you know, once again, Funky Four Plus One More, Treacherous Three, Crash Crew. Then when you started hearing that, that's when you was like, oh, wow, this is, these are the songs now. Before you even got to, you know, Cool G Rap and Big Daddy Kane and and um, Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick. You know, there's a lot more before getting to where we were to, to this present time.
0: And so, because hip-hop history is one of the most interesting parts of hip-hop because it's so rich in culture, it's so rich in personalities. You know, we look now at 2020 and just the evolution of hip-hop has really elevated quickly from people you've worked with, you know, looking at people like 50 Cent who changed the game, looking at all these different artists, Jay-Z, who changed the game. So how do you see that change come across and shift into, you know, mainstream culture?
1: Well, you know, it becomes an age thing. Because, you know, after a while, it's really like what was in the 90s when you had Tribe Called Quest and you had leaders of the new school, you had Main Source, you had Lord Finesse, you had Digging in the Crates, then you moved on, then you went into the the Onyxes and the Flatliners, the Grave Diggers, then you move into Wu Tang. It's just for me. It's just more like a true blessing because I've seen different eras of music and been able to grasp to everything to the present time. You know what I mean? Like being able to say now you can play the baby, little baby, Drake, but back then I was playing. You know, Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick, uh, <laughs> different music that was is so elevated that it makes you be like, "Wow!" You know what I mean? Like, you got the '90s, you got your 2000s, and now you got your current.
0: And so, do you have a personal favorite? Do you have one that, in your back of your mind, this era to me is one that I love?
1: Well, I, I love all all eras. If I have to say an error, I would have to say the beginning. Because it was like it was like listening to like it's like watching a chalkboard, like a teacher writing on the chalkboard, and you saw the start of her writing the first sentence, or the even writing her name on the board, like i miss so and so. You know what I mean? Because I seen the beginning. Yeah, it's like and the start still, of the be- lesson. Yeah. And and being here still now and still breaking records and still, you know, on radio, traveling and, you know, DJing for one of the biggest artists to this present day due to, you know, the pandemic and everything, you know, 50 Cent, which is a hell of a mogul, um, you know, someone that had a driving force with his music. It, it's It's a blessing.
0: And so, before we talk about where you're at at the moment and talk about you know fifty cent and collaborating, just want to talk, talk about your growing up. And um, so, you grew up in the Bronx. You've got you know Latin heritage. How how was your growing up? Were you exposed to a lot of music? Um, how how was that kind of influenced throughout your childhood?
1: I mean, I, I mean, my mother played so much Latin music that you know, when I was young, I really didn't care for it. As I got older, I loved Spanish music more. Salsa. I, I mean, but it wasn't really that. It was more like, like I said, my cousins was playing tapes and the music that, that I heard made me, you know, it kind of like made me be like, wow, what is this? Like this, you know, being able to hear it on a loud radio, like a, a, a boombox and this this energy that's coming through the the speakers makes you be like, want to learn word for word of what they're saying. Um, you know, the influences of music is just it's just so many different things to me. It's just like it's just like food. You know what I mean? <laughs> Before you had McDonald's, there was Jack in a box. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, I will say the thing about hip hop is it's addictive as hell. Once you start. Yeah and you start finding music that you like, it's like a wormhole. You start finding producers, you start finding DJs, you start finding rappers that you like, and then it's just, you get deeper and deeper. Um, So you're 100% right when it comes to that. How did you balance, you know, starting out, you said you didn't have much money, and then also purchasing equipment, and, you know, putting in the time to obviously build up rep, do the hours. How was that balance what age were you doing
1: that um I definitely want to say fourteen, you know, I would go to a lot of neighbors' houses and and get music like there they they would have record players and records, and I would say hey mr hey, Mr. Epps, are you going to use these songs? Are you going to use these records?" And some would say, "Sure, you could take them." Or some would say you could ball on them and bring them back, but I was I was I was bad. I wouldn't bring things back. I, I would take a lot of records from people and not bring them back. <laughs> I kind of I kind of did that to my own friends too, and I'm sorry for it. But you know, it made me better though. <laughs> they did contributed I, to the chubby chub.
0: Yeah. Did they let you live it down or did they, did they forget about it? It's one of those ones. No, nah, I, I
1: got I got, I got, got friends that still talk about it to this day. I just had some friends talk about it the other day, to be honest. They're coming <laughs> to collect. <laughs> yeah, they, they want their records back. They do, but they're not going to get them.
0: <laughs> so collecting records is like a thing in hip hop because you've got to search for samples. You've got to search for breakbeats. You've got to search for just this unique sound. How's that process? Because you just got to go through record after record after record after record.
1: Well, you you know what I mean? You definitely got to go through record after record, but you got to hear it somewhere so you know what you're looking for. At this time, you know, at at, at the time, let's say the 80s, when, when records were, you know, if you had one copy of a record, you'd be mad because you can't cut it. You couldn't, you know, have the record and come back to the record if you only had one record. So you gotta wait till you find another copy or you found a way to get money to go get another record, then make copies of everything, cause you had to have doubles of a lot of records back then. You know, one also here and there, but the process was it was a challenging process. But, you know, then I got a job, started working and and so on and so forth, and I started selling tapes. Before selling mixtapes out, I was selling tapes in my own area to like my peers. So my peers would, they would always be like, you got a tape, you got a tape, yo, you got a tape. And that's how it would go. And I would, you know, sell my tapes to everybody.
0: And so who did you
1: go to for feedback? Who was like, you know, guiding you
0: in the direction of your career?
1: I didn't really have too much feedback but I did have a lot of criticism and that was just because of where I lived. So the people that I lived, like, like lived in my projects, they would always like, they would clown. Like, you know, they, would, they would roast you and then they would, mm-hmm. Oh, that was whack. Oh, you know, they would just joke with you. So that would make you work harder at everything. So it wasn't really like I had any, anybody to give me a a, a strong, way to do certain things until I met like red-handed and technician. They were like my hardest critics, And then Clark Kent would say, you got to do this and you got to work on that. And and that's how I started transitioning to better different movements of, of records and things. And so it's interesting because
0: when there's like two, two, two parts you can go down. When you get criticism, you can give up or you can keep digging in. And obviously I'm sure you've seen people who say they wanna be a DJ, say they wanna be a rapper, they get criticism and they give up. Right. What What do you think for you kept you going, you know what, despite, you know, as much as people are schooling, as much as the criticism you may get, that I still wanna go back and keep working on my craft. I'm not gonna give up at this.
1: You know, like I said, I never thought it would have been a career. That's one thing. Let me let me be clear. I never would have thought that this would have been my career. But I'm going to tell you a movie and how it changed my whole persona of wanting to be a DJ. The movie Juice. When Queen Latifah is doing the audition with Q, better known as Omar Epps, and she's listening to his tape and he, she goes, you do a lot of parties around the area? You do parties? He goes, yeah, you know, I do parties around the area here and there. And she goes, you're local. Oh, you're local. So after watching that movie, I go back to my projects where I lived, thirty-fourth University, and everybody was clowning. Oh, you're local. Oh, you're local. So that made me work even more harder to find my next movement or what I wanted to do. And soon, soon be it, I met DJ Doo-Wop, And Doo-Wop took my tapes downtown to 125th Street to a popular store called Stereo Palace at the time. Before it became Stereo Plaza. But Stereo Palace used to be the place where all DJ's mixtapes were being sold. And he took my tapes down there and that was it. From there it just it brought me into a different, a different realm. You didn't you
0: weren't local anymore? You started getting bigger
1: yeah I just it, it just started happening like little by little I was traveling and touring and by myself just doing parties everywhere so the
0: the world of a DJ or the world of someone who makes music is kind of different from like a hip hopper like a an, an MC in a way because you rely on your craft of finding the beats. You rely on your craft on mixing and mastering, whereas a rapper relies on their craft of the spoken word. So did you find there were differences in the way you would tour versus the way a rapper would tour?
1: Well, definitely, because, you know, when when I did it, it was more like through mixtapes. So it wasn't like my songs, per se. It was me playing songs that were by other artists. It's just how you would mix and match those songs, or you would speak about the songs that made people cause an awareness to them, and how your voice sounded. Because remember, it's like radio. No one, no one sees the person that's speaking until they see them. You got the greatest voice and be the ugliest person. You know what I mean? So that that be the that be the whole theory. Like no one really hears or see you until only they hear you, but they don't see you. And then when they see you like, Oh wow, that's you. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> and
0: your name, DJ Chubby Chubb, how did you come up with that name? Cause to be honest, every time I hear the name, it puts a smile to my face, literally every <laughs> single time. So how did you you come up or how did that get coined?
1: Well, you know, like I said, Latin descent. So a lot of people used to call me Gordito. That was that was chubby in Spanish. But I didn't, you know, at the time I I, I was going through a name phase, and I kept trying to figure out what name would really come up with. And and it was kind of hard because I tried like Willie D because my real name is Willie, and I was like, eh, it's not gonna work. I tried Fatty D, but it was another Fatty D. He had it. And then I was just like, I'm gonna just go with Chubby Chubby Chub. And one day I was courageous enough. I went and got a a sweatshirt made, <laughs> and um, in graffiti, and I wore it at, at night one night. And everybody clowned me. Everybody was like Chubby Chub. What in your <laughs> face? And in your butt. And they would say funny things like that. And I was like. Whatever. (laughs) But you know, it it was it's a process. I mean, I just thought it was a dope name and lo and behold, it still
0: works. (laughs) It's definitely memorable. It's definitely one that you don't forget. But I mean, hip hop is one of these ones where for whatever reason all the names have something to do with size, you know, Big L, Big Pun, Biggie, you got Lil' Kim, Lil Wayne, it's all big, Lil. I just it's just one of those things in the culture where We just got to describe how you
1: look yeah like on the first time i met chub rock and he tried to tell me that i should change my name because he was chub rock (laughs) that was the funniest thing (laughs) and so
0: coming up you're starting to release music you're starting to do tours you're touring on your own what's the next step after that
1: i mean right now i have um you mean as of now you mean
0: I meant, as in back in the day. So you're starting to do oh, tours back by in the yourself. Day. Oh, yeah. What was what was the plan after that? What did you do to? Get I didn't you have further? a plan.
1: <laughs> I didn't <laughs> have a plan. I ended up moving from New York to Boston, and I was doing parties and different clubs. And a radio station opened up in 2000, and they um they approached me and told me that they wanted me to do radio. I've never done radio. I never had an understanding of radio. You know, I'm I'm a street DJ. I don't know anything. The, the, I don't know how to how the radio work at the time. And there's like, we want you to be on and we want you to be on at noon. So imagine I'm a street DJ. I don't know no no other way how to. I'm thinking, you know, when I hear radio, I'm thinking how radio was in New York and how DJs were. That wasn't the case. <laughs> but radio was my next move and, and it was like it fell on my lap and it became more like the DJ personality on your own and being able to assess your your the way how I, I would bring records and sell tickets and get tickets going. And and, and it was just a, a, a big factor was radio.
0: And so radio, because you got to sell in radio. Radio is one of those forums where you're always selling. You're always kind of yeah. talking. What did you need to do to adapt to the new mentality?
1: It was more just understanding the liners. It was more like, you know, the back selling of everything that I had to go on. Like you said, it was a selling. And, and also remembering that I had to play commercials, Cause commercials have to play. If not, the station don't make money. Like I can remember the first time when I um when I did a Saturday night show. When they gave me my first Saturday night show, uh, I didn't have a jock. It was no personality. When they just said, "Yeah, you're good. You ready? Go by yourself." And the and the jock left. But he didn't tell me that I had to pull commercials out. So I've been I was playing for. Four hours straight, no commercials. Monday morning, I come in. Oh, you did a great job on radio. The program director goes, You did a great job. What about commercials? I said, Nobody told me about commercials. (laughs) So he had to call the jock, and the jock had to explain to me what I had to do. And and that was history. That's 20 years. As of right now, it's 20 years on radio now.
0: And so, how do you how do you feel about commercials like breaking up your set? Because you have a certain flow, you design a particular way. Did you figure out a way to? All right, this is where I'll break it up. This is where the commercial goes, and then I continue my set.
1: Yeah, I always knew, I always knew that a certain amount of records were played. At, you know, like I physically played these songs. Like at the time, it was vinyl, and I knew exactly that in the 30 minutes, I had to stop. There was no, you know, unless I had a commercial free hour, which that would be like the five o'clock that they had had, I had the commercial free. But otherwise than that, it was 30 minutes, you had to stop set. Those commercials had to play.
0: And I've always wondered this, when the commercials play, do you take your headphones off or do you have to listen to the to the commercials run so that you can pick up straight away?
1: Well, I used to listen to a lot of commercials just to make sure that they would play because I didn't ever want to miss a commercial. Like, if it was on a log, I wanted to make sure that those commercials ran currently and the way they were supposed to run. I never wanted to miss a commercial.
0: Not after the first
1: one. Yeah, not after the first time anyway. (laughs) And so,
0: going back, because I also read you were part of the group Original Flavor as well. So you yeah. weren't you weren't part of the the first album they released, but you were part of the second one.
1: How second did album. that
0: come through? What was how did you get in touch with Ski? What was that relationship like?
1: Well, that was once again Clark Kent. That was Clark Kent, and also a good friend of mine named Tone, which he was in the second group, part of the group Tone Hooker, Steve Strong. Um, T-Strong used to come to all the local parties I used to do in the area. And um, he came to me and said, yo, want to be in a group with us? And I was like, I guess. And then Clark was like, yeah, you got to do that. That's what you got to do. You got to do that. So that was history. We did the second album and we toured. And, you know, in the same time I met Jay-Z, I mean, I met Jay a little bit before that because he used to be at Clark House. So Clark, that was like kind of like Clark's artist at the time, and I used to get all Clark, all Jay Z's music before everybody else did. And this is when Jay was just recording music and certain things he wouldn't record, and I would just take it and I would put it on my mixtapes. So I was the first person to put Jay Z on mixtapes.
0: Damn. That is that's very very cool, like I could just I don't know it's strange because it's, at the time you don't know what Jay Z becomes but looking back now,
1: I mean honestly it's crazy because even when when we used to go do shows and stuff he used to be like I don't really want to do this like at the why he didn't really want to do it and then I was like nah you gotta keep going like yeah like yeah you're gonna be this you know you're gonna be the ish like there's no way for you to quit right now and then if you look down, it's like wow you know what i mean like you know like the plaque i got on my ceiling right now like you know on the wall like that's like all the albums right there that's like at that time that was 16 million sold
0: and for those of our viewers who obviously you know podcasts uh dj chubby chub has a rockefeller record uh plaque up up top so i'm just looking at that um so it's it's really cool what i love seeing is people in hip-hop who collect hip-hop memorabilia like you can just tell that it's not a show that they love it and i can tell obviously you don't have a 30 year you know career if you don't love it Um it's just one of these exciting things but because you released that first album, Jay-Z appears on one of the tapes, on one of the records. Um, and to be honest, his flow is very different to what it is right now. He was, <laughs> he was way faster. He's spitting this flow, um, whereas now he has his signature style. It's very stop-starty. So when you were listening, could you feel him working? What was the, the process? What was he trying to do? And how did you kind of manage the beat there?
1: I mean, Jay just had his own unique style. Like, you know, a lot of people would say that he would rap fast and not have, um, you know, like some people wasn't really into it at the time. But when you listened to him, he was, he was dope. Like he was a dope rapper. Like he wasn't like a the speed person and you couldn't understand him. He would speed, but you would understand every word he said.
0: Hmm.
1: It's not like the first time when I heard Twister, I didn't understand any of the words Twister said. It
0: takes a long time for you to get used right. to Twister.
1: So and then you figure you had Jay-Z and you had Jazz O that was doing the speed, tongue, twister rap. Then comes along um, La Smooth, Chip Fool, and, and things like that, and you start listening to that. But Jay has his words play is like, crazy. So it makes you be like, nah, he's he's dope. But then he found a different niche. He found a way to just, you know, like, if you know Jay-Z, like, if you ever meet Jay-Z and you ever sit with him or you watch him, you see how cool he is. Like, he's too laid back, so he learned how to adapt that into his own vocals and just be without all the extra word he just was able to rap and people could understand what he said.
0: And so seeing that process of like, you know, knowing who he is and seeing him actually embody who he was, because I feel like the difference between, the records that he was doing when he was young versus moving into albums like The Reasonable Doubt, he embodied who who he was more. He accepted who he was and he put it out in an album. And then obviously into his career. How do you see that as development for him?
1: I think it was dope. I think, you know, we all find a niche to to get ourselves into a path that we want to be in. And, and, and for people to see what, what he really brings to the table.
0: Awesome. And so for, for anyone who wants to check that track out, that's Can I Get Open. That's featuring Jay-Z. <laughs> so I know I personally went, I literally, in my car this morning, I was listening to that track. It is a dope track. The beat is really nice. It works in terms of it allows the rappers to do their job. How do you find that balance? Because part of, you know, being a DJ is allowing the artist to actually feature. There are so many albums where there are beats that overtake the artist and where the beats don't do enough. How do you find that balance of working with the artist, using their voice, but also having the instrumental behind them
1: to, well, to work? You know, when we did this album, when we did our original Flavor album, you know, we stood long hours in the studio trying to figure out different ways if we're going to accept this beat or that beat. It was really Ski. Like, Ski had this ear. And I would sit, and he will be like, what do you think? I was like, eh, that's like," right. And then he'd be like, all right, we'll change it. We'll stop. Like, the problem with Ski, though, if he even had four bars of a beat, he would shut off the computer, like shut off the SB-12, and we lose everything. We had to start from scratch. And that used to piss me off. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Because, because Ski had like, see at the time, the SP-12 never saved anything unless you formatted it on a disk. For a lot of people that don't understand formatting, like it's like almost formatting the hard drive. But you formatted a floppy disk that you would put into the machine. And the machine would save everything into that little floppy disc. But Ski, as soon as he felt like, huh, it's whack, he'll just shut it off. So we're like, yo, you could have saved that. Nah, do something better. That's how he was. Yeah. But it's just like we all had like a collective idea of how we wanted everything to sound. Like we just wanted that, you know, if you listen to the album now, you still hear like we were ahead of our time for that album. We definitely had a lot of beats that's on there that that stick on there that's really kind of tough. Like if we even if you gave it to somebody right now and they did something with it, some of them records will surpass the time.
0: And because you did, like you, you guys were did some some good stuff. Why would you guys stop after the first that album? Because you guys broke up. You went your separate ways. So what happened there?
1: I mean, I just think. We were just probably like tired of 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 trying to be like in a group. Like Ski was, you know, doing his own beats. Ski started working more on production. I started working more on, you know, concentrating on me. Dezan and T. Strong was writing for a lot of people. You know, we still in talks. Like we talk every day. I just spoke to Ski today at eight o'clock tonight. He got a um, he got a producer's challenge. He's doing. So you know. Ski, Ski's still there. My brother T. Strong, they're my brothers for life. You know, Dame Dash used to manage us. I just spoke to him not so long ago, and um, you know, it's just a, uh, it's it's just probably I I want to say it's just time. Everybody just found a different way to do different things.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's always hard with groups because at the end of the day, everyone also has their own career. You look at Wu Tang as the perfect example of, you know. The the artists came together. They created a group, and then they go off and do solo solo music as well. So it's just one of those ones. At some point, you kind of want to do your own thing.
1: Yeah, you. I mean, you know, some some sometimes other things come transpire. It makes you move on to other things. And so
0: bouncing back. So you obviously go into radio. You do radio for for a long period of time. How do you start getting in touch with, you know, artists? What is, what, how, did you, how do you build those connections?
1: I mean, a lot of artists, you know, you, you generally meet them during, you know, in between the the radio. I mean, you know, like interviews or in passing. And, you know, I, I, I was always connected. A lot of artists, you know, I basically grew up with. A lot of the, the major artists, you know, I grew up with most of them. Most of them I grew up with and most of them follow my, you know, my mixtapes and things like that. So, but then when it became to like the artistry of, of being a DJ for artists, like, you know, I DJ for Nas, I DJ for Foxy, Foxy Brown. I DJ for Fat Joe, which is my brother, more than music. Um, I've DJed for Khalees. Um, was on who's the the first
0: person you DJed for?
1: Oh, I used to be in a group called Um (laughs) Elements of Style when I was signed to Wild Pitch Records. That that was the first group that I was signed to, and um, I was that was a guy named Main One, and um, I DJed for him when I was like 90. It was like ninety, had the, yeah, like ninety. so, what you and,
0: learn from that 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 kind of gave you the skills to be able to DJ for you know really big artists. You know, Nazi is considered one of the greatest of all time. You look at uh, you know the the people you've worked with, Fat Joe. He's been in the game for so long. Also, one of the one of the greatest of all time with his ability to find artists and his ability to to spot music. So. How did you get to a point where you were at a level where those artists were like, okay, I think the right move is to have DJ Chubby Chubb.
1: I mean, Chubby. I I don't, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I just I just took a chance at everybody that I worked with, you know, the only one that was a um, like a big challenge was is fifty. Because as soon as you mess up on stage, he's going to let you know. So, like, a little mistake could cost you a whole show of embarrassment.
0: Well, (laughs) I remember I was there in Melbourne. You were on stage. I think a song ran. I couldn't even notice it. It was, like, a touch, like, just a tiny bit over. Yeah. And he was not a happy man. He was not a happy man. He is a perfectionist.
1: No, he's definitely... You know, he, he, he's definitely one of those don't let nothing slide. Like, and and if, and if he's in the moment and he misses it, that's where he's like, you see Kanan. You know what I mean? Right on stage, you see Kanan. And like, you know, we're human. We can't always predict something that, that, that could happen. It's not my fault all the time. Sometimes it's just, you know, like the equipment, something with the equipment or... It, it it just happens and you know that's why sometimes you got to pay attention to what you do because if not it could cost you but i got 7 years so i'm cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how
1: is cuz
0: i mean so many people follow 50 cent on instagram you see he likes to he likes to school around he likes to you know make jokes he likes to fire people up a little bit how's working with him as someone who's you know, he's very up and about, but he's also extremely motivated.
1: I mean, you know, 50 is a great guy. I'm I, I'm, I'm thankful to be working with him. I'm thankful to be a part of, you know, being around him and things like that. But it, it's never like – it just makes you want to work more. You know what I mean? My hashtag is always going to be never not working. I'm always going to be working no matter what, you know cuz as chubby Chubb, I still got to keep going every, every day so like working with him seeing him work makes you want to do you can't stop there's no time for for lally gagging or or second guessing what you want to do you just got to do it
0: and so have you seen 50 cuz you've been working with him for, for 7 years that's a, a long time especially you know Fifty is notoriously not the easiest guy to get along with. He's he knows exactly what he wants. He knows how to get after it. How have you seen his development? Obviously he's moved into making shows like Power, he's going on tour still, but he's moved into more of a, a businessman rather than just an MC or just a rapper. Well,
1: he's always been in the business. You know, he's always been business. I just think he just know how to utilize what he has going on now. You know what I mean? Like, he's just going into different levels. You know, he, he just, his his thought process is never stopping. You know, to be honest, the man barely sleeps.
0: To be honest, I thought the way he works and the things that he does, it looks like he barely sleeps.
1: No, I can, I can guarantee you. I'm telling you, he you don't sleep. He don't sleep if he sleeps is a minimum, you know, he's in the gym, he's running around, he's moving back in the gym, then getting ready to do shows. Like it's crazy.
0: And so how do you, someone who's always on, he's ready to go. He's always, you know, next thing he's always working. How do you adapt to someone who's at that energy level? That's beyond what we would even say is abnormal. It's like freak levels. Mm -hmm. of energy like people like that you you come across you know maybe once in a lifetime I mean you've you've rubbed shoulders with lots of successful artists but it sounds like his work ethic is beyond even your goats yeah I
1: mean you know I try to I I mean I'm gonna be me I can't be him you know only thing I do try to do is make sure that I'm, I'm I'm leaner and my own health and everything because he loved calling me fat boy. So that's really my thing right now.
0: <laughs> so what are you doing to, to, to get fit? What are you, does he, does he ever offer to train with you or is he just trying to just.
1: He's he's helped me a few times, but I, I definitely do, do get fit on my own. I definitely go to the gym and I eat a lot better and you know, just stay focused. It's not easy, but it's a, uh, it's definitely a a, a hell of a, a hell of a ride
0: well the hard part
1: is the eating
0: going to the yeah. gym is easy the food is the hard part
1: yeah food is definitely the the, the hardest part and really just trying to stay away from junk
0: yeah do you, do you think that obviously growing up with less money in terms of the food that you can afford cuz you know organic vegetables are expensive as opposed to you go to McDonald's, you can get a $6 meal for.
1: I mean, you know, money wise is definitely, but you got to, it's like anything. You got to invest in yourself. You got to make money, you know, you got to spend money to make money. So you got to invest in yourself. If you don't invest in yourself, you're in the wrong business for anything. So if you really want to live, you got to invest in yourself. Soda and juices ain't it water works better than
0: anything. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Hey, <laughs> it's never too late to start. That's the, the awesome thing. And if, if 50 Cent would call you Fat Boy, if that's what it takes, if DJ Chubby Chubb could turn around and say that's what 50 Cent calls in, and you know if you look in the mirror, if 50 Cent would call you Fat Boy, it's time to... To drop the kegs.
1: It's a a different type of love. That's what that is.
0: (laughs) It's brutally honest. It's just telling you what he thinks. He wants you to be your best. Yep. And so if I move back to your mentor, you talk about your mentor quite a lot. How did you find a mentor and how did you get that sort of relationship?
1: Well, Clark Kent, I mean, you know, one hell of a DJ you know, um another business person, you know, from producing to DJing to the king of sneakers. You know, I, I I just was honored to be able to work with Clark. Cause Clark used to have um different events and I would open up for him. And that was just a a like a dream come true. And and he paid me for it. He would pay me like you know what I mean like, and not no, cheap money like he gave me money money like, he, like it was times he gave me a thousand dollars fifteen hundred it depends on the night, you know at one time DJs was making you know top DJs was making ten fifteen thousand a party.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: especially you know in the nineties that's a lot of coin.
1: Yeah, different. It was different. It was definitely different. You know, image was everything, you know, from the way you dress, the way your records would come in the club. You know, he helped me with a lot of that. Like, you know, some DJs were still carrying milk crates when I'm carrying record cases. Like, I'm looking way, way better just with my cases than the average person with the milk crates.
0: In terms of look, was he like, all right, first impressions are everything. You know, they hear you, but then when you rock up for a show, you got to look the part.
1: Yeah. You know, image is everything when you step on stage, from from hygiene to to, to the clothes you wear to, to your mannerisms.
0: What you need to do to develop that? Did you – because obviously when you start, you don't think of those things. You just think, all right, if my music is good – and everything else will, will fall into place. But how well, did you train yourself to, to be on stage?
1: I mean, I, I just know that I used to have a mirror when I was young, and I would do facial expressions, <laughs> and I would try to practice how I would look on stage. But everybody used to say, you're too serious. You got to just have fun. And this is an early age, and I was like, no, nah, I want to look like this. Like, you know, I want to be, like, you know. But that wasn't really the case. The case was really, like, you got to smile. You got you to gotta have fun with it. You got to embrace what you're doing. And that's what happened. It became more of the understanding of back and forth with everything that I was doing. And so
0: did Clark Kent, was he the guiding light that was, like, you know, this is the skills that you need to develop. These are the parts where, you know, this is okay, but what you need to do is X, Y, Z.
1: You know, I, I could say with Clark, it was more like transitions mattered. It's more the transition. More record from record, record from record, how you come across with those records, your selection, that, all that stuff he helped me with. But... You know, being dominant at, at what I did was was just what I always wanted to do. Like I always, my hunger was different. My my energy is always different. You know, I'm in front of a hundred, five thousand, seventy thousand. I'm still gonna be energetic. I'm still gonna know how to get people involved.
0: And and so, in terms of picking certain tracks. How did did you just have to trial and error and just go, let's if this transitions into this track or this one transition into that. What about this break, that break? How did you kind of develop that part of the DJing art?
1: I mean, that was just, that's just my own instincts. Me knowing the difference between what record can really take people to one level or memory level. Knowing you want to see their hands up or you want to hear the oohs and ahs? Like I'm for the oohs and ahs. I'm for the hands up. I'm for the interaction. I'm for the, you know, I need to see somebody makes, I need to hear people make some noise. I need to feel the same way they feel. I need to feel like the way I feel. I need them to feel. And
0: that starts with having fun. Yeah. So, for you in terms of the type of music that you make you've i've listened in a couple of interviews you've done that you you make tracks for the ladies so right. what's what's that guiding light what's your
1: kind of goal when it comes to making a set it's about ladies like you know guys are going to come to the floor once they see the ladies on the floor i mean you know you could play for the guys you could play for your boys that You could do that, but that's not generating what women want because you got to know how to please the women on stage. Like, you know, when when they're in a club, you want to get them in tune. Remember, women still buy records. Women still buy songs for 99 cents. They will go buy an artist song that they love, that one artist. So if you're playing music, you want to play music for them. Not not the average guy. I mean, I know for a fact, you know, it could be R&B, it could be reggae, it could be a slow song, but it's whatever is going to make women want to dance.
0: Hey, and if the women come, so do the men. That's kind of a exactly. rule of life.
1: Exactly. That's what always works. And if a DJ plays backwards, he's in the wrong game. Yeah,
0: 100% agree. And so... Now with the development of female hip-hop artists, you know, now obviously the culture's exploding to different people. How do you view the, the expansion in terms of female artists now becoming bigger? You've got, you know, Cardi B, Nicki Minaj leading the way, but you've got, you know, artists like Danny Lee, you've got artists like Shay Noir. They're coming through as well. How do you see that development?
1: It's a dope development. I mean, the female has always been in the game. You know, I remember when Sha Rock and Pebbly Pooh, which in, in the 80s, they were the female rappers that were doing what they were doing. You know, then you had, before that, after that you had Wanda D and Debbie D. They was female rappers. I mean, it, it's dope that, you know, because they try to say it's a man's world, but women have and, 150% of what it really is to make music and understand the gift that they have. You know what I mean? Whether it be sexually, mentally, nurturing, it's a woman's thing. It's a woman's world.
0: And so and now what we see because still, you know, in the eighties and the nineties, it was still male dominated. Hip hop is still male dominated right now, but it's becoming more diverse. You see all these subcultures pop up. You've got hip-hop in the UK, you've got hip-hop in Australia, and um, you've got all these different kind of cultures growing. Um, you've got, you know, even places like Italy, France, Russia. Brazil. Also... So how have you seen that growth? Because, you know, early days of hip-hop, it was very local, and now it's gone worldwide.
1: I mean, it's always been worldwide. I've, I've Like, I've always seen... London had their own trend of hip-hop since the 90s. You know, Toronto had their own, their lane of hip-hop. But everybody's hip-hop was just boom-bap. So it was the hip-hop with the knock versus, like, London have grime. And um, Brazil has, it's like trap, but it's funk. You know, it, it it's just it it circulates into different horizons because people find different ways to make the music sound different. You know what I mean? So like, it, it's a, it's a it's a beautiful thing because it's not just saying it was in the Bronx. I love the elevation of seeing hip hop in Japan, hip hop in. In, in um in Australia, hip hop in in Midwest, hip hop in California, everything is different. You know what I mean? It's never gonna stay the same.
0: And how do you what do you think brought it to all these different countries? Because even in the beginnings it was very underground, you know, a lot of especially, you know, coming up in the nineties, you got gangster rap you got groups like nwa bringing a new wave of aggressive gang culture and then obviously the the mainstream look down upon it you know didn't get a lot of positive feedback other than from people who grow up in that lifestyle from people who understand what they're talking about tracks like fuck the police how do you see that develop into what you know right now you're doing world tours you're selling out absolutely everywhere How did you see that development into all these different areas?
1: I mean, I just see, you know, the people that that decide to take a chance at what they believe in. You know, you had Too Short in in the Bay Area. You had E-40 in the Bay Area. You know, you have, you know, it's really, it's really on the person that comes up with the music. Like, when you first heard Souls of Mischief, you would have thought that was like the end all, be all for music. You know what I mean? Like, or you heard De La Soul for the first time. It's just how you grasp it. You want to be able to own what you do. Like, I think, I think there's nothing but great positive, positive music that in the world. You know, you take bits and pieces, like everything from anybody just like myself, like, I take a little Jazzy Jeff, I take a little Kid Capri, I take a little bit of Clark Kent, I take a little bit of Brucey B, and I put it all together, I'm Chubby Chubb. Mm. So you could take N.W.A., you take a little Tupac, and then you end up getting a little baby now, or or somebody that has that influence. You know what I mean? You're you you going to get influenced by everything you see or hear. And everybody's going to always say, oh, I grew up on EZ, or I grew up on Biggie, or I grew up on Cameron, or I grew up on G-Unit. You know what I'm saying? So it's really like it just moves into different things that escalate everybody's mental of understanding that, music is not for one genre. It's not for one set of people. It's like everybody, everything.
0: And I literally could not have said it better myself. Music <laughs> is definitely for everybody. And now you see, you know, you talked about Boom bap as being what everyone was doing, and now we're heading into trappy beats. You know, the hi-hat is absolutely everywhere. How do you see the beats now versus the beats, you know, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, what do you think of the the transition into more modern hip-hop?
1: I think it's dope. I, I love the, the music. I love the, the hi-hats. I love the bass lines. But it's also, Boom Bap is still there. You still have, you know, Griselda. You still have Alchemist doing beats. You still got Action Bronson. You know, you still got Boom Bap, but you also have artists that are, young artists that are doing hip-hop that still sounds like 90s and 2000. And then you got those that are doing the new trappy bass, but they're using old loops into their music. So it makes it like, oh, it's still dope. The only time it's going to get a little stale is when you're tired of the artist. You know what I mean? Because once you get tired of the artist, that's when it really becomes a whole different generation. Like, you know, when, when you don't hear a certain artist anymore, they move on to another artist quick. The young the youth is different. So the youth is gonna have a different projection of how music is being transcended now.
0: Especially with Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, the the attention span. If you don't hold the crowd, mm-hmm. they just find somebody else clicking the fingers.
1: Yeah, because, you know, the attention span right now, think about it. When I first heard records, they were 15 to 17 minutes long. A song. 10, 15, 17 minutes. The whole song. Now you got songs that's 155, 2 minutes three minutes the most. Anything after that, you forget about it.
0: I like for me personally, I still have uh, like for me, the perfect is anywhere between three thirty and five, depending on the track. I always find if it's a two minute track and I love it, it's always too short. I'm always mm. asking for more. So it's always a balancing act. Absolutely. And so now you've got this new era where in terms of radio, you're competing with music that people have with their phones. You know, they're literally carrying, they've got, you know, as we said, Spotify, SoundCloud, all these different avenues to access music. How do you feel as as someone who's on the radio keeps fans coming back to you versus on on Spotify, for example?
1: I mean... That that's to each his own their own preference. It's like you know someone used to carry an iPod, and their own iPod had their only selection of music that they had. I mean, you're gonna listen to terrestrial radio. You're gonna listen to internet radio. It doesn't matter. You're gonna listen to everything as it goes. There's no there's no denying, in any part of how someone listens to music or the structure of music. There is. You know, you can listen to Tidal. You can listen to SoundCloud. You can, People still, the number one place is YouTube. It, they, they're going to listen to that because they want to listen to that. But there's internet radio. IG Live plays music all day long. You know what I mean? So there's no real – there's not – never not no room for, how do I say, um, regular radio, terrestrial radio. It's always there.
0: You've been in the game – for a long time, what do you see is next? Do you have something that you still want to, want to achieve? Are you happy where you're at at the moment?
1: Can you say that again?
0: I'm sorry. Oh, good. Is there anything else you, you want to achieve? Is there anything else, you know, moving forward into your career? You don't look like you're going to slow down anytime soon. Is there any new avenue you want to enter?
1: Right now where I'm entering is, in is consultment. I have a company, it's called He Rock LLC and his consultments to new artists, helping artists brand themselves, have having an understanding of what, you know, the game really is and how can you achieve to better heights than what's already been done.
0: Awesome. How long have you been doing that for?
1: Well, I've been doing that for years, but officially for the last two years has been what I've really been doing.
0: Well, if any artists are listening, hit up my man Chubby Chubb. You know, someone who's been in the game for such a long period of time, even just speaking to to Chubby Chub, I just my mind is is blown with all the the references, <laughs> the advice. So um, definitely worth worth hitting you Thank up. Thank you. And if, for you right now, because coronavirus has changed everything. Like, how has coronavirus affected you? How has it affected your career? And obviously, you can't tour at the moment. But what have you been doing? during the lockdown and, and the pandemic?
1: I mean, honestly, it's, it's been a, a great thing. I mean, I know it's not a great thing as far as the pandemic for what it's done for a lot of families and things like that. But for me, it hasn't stopped me. It just reinvented me. It just made me be more cautious and more aware to my family and more, more enduring into everything else that I want to be doing later on. You know, I got time to spend. I was able to spend more time with my mother, spend time with my family, and enjoy life, and and take it easy for a moment.
0: And so, where you are right now? Where are you living at the moment?
1: I'm in Boston.
0: In Boston, how has the pandemic affected Boston?
1: Well, you know, it's just like anything. You can't go to clubs, and ain't gonna be no clubs no time soon. But you know, you got IG Live, you got Zoom. You got every social platform that you can do and you still be able to be heard and and seen.
0: And how is it in terms of restrictions? Are you allowed outside? Are you allowed to do, do whatever yeah, you're, you want? Yeah,
1: you're allowed outside. You're definitely allowed outside. It just, I'm cautious. I'd rather not be outside.
0: I'm jealous, to be honest. <laughs> Down here in Melbourne, we've been in lockdown for six out of the last seven months. So, like, we can't go more than 5Ks out of from where we live um we used to have curfew uh at eight o'clock um so man we're itching to get outside but hopefully our cases are under 10 a day so um hopefully they let us out but obviously i know in the us it's it's no one really knows what the deal is and obviously you've got the upcoming election as well that's going to throw a spanner in the works so hopefully um everything kind of calms down and you've obviously you've got you know, the, the turbulence in terms of the, the social side of things, which is something that hip-hop has been talking about from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And we review hip-hop albums on this podcast as well. And every single album talks about injustices towards African-American and minority communities. And it is still crazy that these are conversations we still have to have. We always talk about that. It blows our mind that 30 years ago, the same thing is still happening right now. Um, And hopefully, you know, now with with the way the world works, we can see steps forward into, you know, equality and treating people the way everyone wants to be treated.
1: You know, everybody just has to be safe and and, and positive and be patient because it's never going to happen overnight. And I
0: mean, you're you're a perfect example of relationship building. Like you know, you've got all these connections to different artists. I mean, what's your what's your foundation? What do you come back from when you interact with people? What's the thing that you try to always do?
1: Smile, <laughs> smile, and laugh. That's that's probably my only um, end or be all. Is that it, it's just staying positive. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't dwell on what's not, not happening. I dwell on what I need done.
0: Hey, and I think that's a perfect recipe. If we smiled more, if we laughed more, if we look past yeah. what makes us different and we look at what makes us the same, I think the world would be a better place. We're all very similar, regardless of where you come from.
1: Absolutely. Do you have
0: a tour for you that was a standout? where you look back at that tour and go, that was one of the best tours I've ever done?
1: I want to say, honestly, Australia was probably the one of the biggest tours. Besides it. London, it was like the two biggest tours that we had. Because you, there were big tours, obviously,
0: flying down to, to Australia. Did you do shows back to back? What was the scheduling like?
1: Yeah, um, they were back to back. We was out for the whole two weeks in Australia, and then we and the last place we went to was New Zealand. New
0: Zealand as well, big hip hop culture. They got artists like Scribe, yeah, and down there as well.
1: Real hip hop, and big shouts to Rain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I always like to finish off with um, a question, and it is simply. If you had one album that you think everybody should listen to, regardless of, you know, what type of music you're into, what album would that be?
1: Um, I'm going to say Reasonable Doubt, Jay-Z. Reasonable
0: Doubt. It's a classic album. Um, I personally am a huge fan of that album. To me, it's probably, in my opinion, the best thing Jay-Z has done It's just full of classics. you got... You know, producer like DJ Premier in there as well. Um, you know,
1: Ski, Clark Kent. You, you great producers and there's a great foundation. I couldn't have said
0: it better myself. So, um, check it out. And if you haven't checked it out, highly recommend. Obviously, Jay Z is the superstar that everybody knows he is. Um, and it's just cool to see where he came from. And DJ Chubby Chubb. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I'll let you plug anything you want to plug.
1: I just want to say thank you for having me, man. Stay safe, everybody. And you want to follow me at DJ Chubby Chubb, two B's, one B. Follow me and I'll follow you. Let's rock out.
0: And you can follow him on Instagram. He's got YouTube as well. Obviously, he's still doing radio gigs. Um, if you want to check out some of his sets, they are on YouTube. So check out DJ Chubby Chubb. And obviously, you know, do some research. Um, you know, DJ Chubb has been in the game for a very long time. And As we said in the show, if you want to get in touch with him, he's got his consulting company as well. Um, so if you ever need guidance, if you ever need help moving your career forward, yes. you know, hit him up. Um, stand up, guy. Um, you know, he's, he's been nothing but, but good. So, no, I appreciate you coming on the show and appreciate having the, Thank you. the chance to speak to you, especially someone who's been in the game for such a long time. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at the underscore slim fitty biggie committee and stay tuned for our next podcast. Bye for now.